You guys ever have uh, one of those moments where, where you realize real quickly just how fast time is passing in your life? I had one of those this morning. A, a friend from Ohio posted a picture that included me in it and said, 20 years ago today, around this time, guess what happened? We graduated high school. And I'm like, what in the world? Where did that 20 years go? 94 was, was our year, right, Carolyn? Same year Old Navy came out. Uh, Prescott Brewing Company. It's a good year. You've had those moments. You have those moments that you remember and will never forget. This one may be a stretch, but how many of you remember where you were and what you were doing September 8th, 2012? That was our first week in this preaching series in the book of Acts. I'm really hurt and disappointed that I thought you all took selfies that day and marked it on your Facebook page, but... Hey, now you know. Next time we start a sermon series, take a selfie. Mark it. <laughs> that was uh, the end of 2012 that we began this journey in God's Word in the book of Acts. And it's been cool to see how that early church blossomed and grew in the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We wrap it up today. Maybe a further back question. Let me, let me see if you can think through this. Where were you about 32 years ago? You remember how old you were? If you were around. Remember roughly what was going on in your life? <laughs> your turbulence? I ask that because that's about how long a period of time this book of Acts has spanned. About AD 30 was when Jesus ascended into heaven. And shortly after that, the Holy Spirit came upon his church. It was AD 62 when Paul ended, was, was in his imprisonment in Rome that we're going to read about today, about 32 years. And uh, we're going to try to do two things this morning as, as we allow God's word to speak to us. One, we're going to aim to wrap up Paul's life. And two, we're going to aim to wrap up the book and see what both of those things have to do with us. So starting with the wrap up of, of Paul's life, some of you were here when we talked about how far the man traveled for God. The miles were put together by a geographer named Barry Beitzel, who estimated that he traveled 13,400 miles during his ministry. <laughs> you remember one other guy said that was like three and a half times across America? Before the modern age of transportation, all for Jesus. And here's the very last stretch of his journey in Acts chapter 28, if you're with us. We're going to turn to verse 11. The very last piece of that 13,400 miles, one of the last pieces, there's one more little one that we'll allude to in a moment. But you remember, Paul had left Caesarea after all these trials, went on a ship, ship journey that took them to the island of Malta after almost dying in a shipwreck, but God brought them through. Paul was a source of great encouragement. This journey from Caesarea to where we are today and where he ends in Rome was about four months Travel was a lot different back then. We hear people today complaining about sitting 20 minutes on the runway, right? It's going to take me 20 more minutes to travel four hours from here to Ohio. Come on. This guy traveled for four months. You guys may have seen the clip on Facebook about the, the, the ways we get impatient with modern conveniences. Kids looking at their cell phones like they press a button and, 
and it takes like two seconds to get that app open, and they're sitting there, and the, the comedian's like, come on, that signal's got to go to space and back. <laughs> Don't you realize what's going on here? We appreciate four months of travel, and we're going to start in verse 11. We're going to look at this last part of the journey first. After three months on that island of Malta, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship from Egypt uh, with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. Now, this is an interesting note. Those were supposedly sons of Zeus. They were supposed to give good luck to anyone who saw them while they were traveling on the sea. So it's, they thought, hey, it's a good idea to put them on your, on your boat. Now, Paul, I'm sure, looked at those and said to his friends, we know who's really protecting us. But that's how the Greeks felt. We put in at Syracuse. That, that trip to Syracuse was about 80 miles and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium, which is about 70 miles. And then 180 miles later, they land in Italy. The south wind came up in a city called Puteoli. It was a giant port. That's the last of Paul's sea journey. He's now going to begin a walk to Rome that was about 125 miles. Him, all these other prisoners, the centurion that was with him after they hang out at Pudioli. But watch what checks out happens in Pudioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. Now it's not really remarkable that there was a church in Pudioli because the gospel had spread. There's already Christians in Rome. But what is cool, after Luke says his so exciting statement to him. He, he, he couldn't wait to actually get to Rome. He was so excited about this because this was what God was doing. He says, so we came to Rome. They weren't quite there yet, but he's like, yeah, God did what he promised. The gospel's getting to the uttermost parts of the earth. But look what happened here. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. Now, they're, they're on the way to Rome, and what, what happens on these Roman highways, they, they have, uh, what, what do we call them, rest stops today? They have rest stops about every 10 to 15 miles. I'm not sure if they had all the electric lollipops and things that we can get there today. But every 10 or 15 miles on your walking journey, you could stop. And the book of Romans tells us that Paul had at least 26 friends in Rome. There, there are a bunch of them listed at the end. And somehow, while they were hanging out in Puteoli, People wonder if somebody went ahead and said, hey, Paul's coming. And these guys left Rome. The Forum of Appius was about 43 miles from Rome. The Three Taverns was about 33 miles. So they came to see Paul. You can imagine after all that he's been through, what that did for his heart, right? A lot of times we think of Paul as kind of a lone ranger. He was so far from that. He was traveling with friends. His friends came to meet him. So when we talk about missional community, when we talk about being on mission together with other people, it's not just our idea. Doing this thing together is, is God's idea. And look what it says about Paul. It says, at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. So then they begin to walk with him. Imagine this. You walk to Caesar for a trial, and he's probably celebrating with his friends, celebrating what God's doing. So when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Now we need to stop for a moment just to say, Paul got to Rome. Remember, all that he's been through, all the trials, all the close calls, 
And all the times God said, you will get to Rome to testify on my behalf. You remember that Paul wrote five or six years earlier to the Romans in chapter one, I long to see you. This was on his heart. Now here's the thing. He had no clue what was going to happen between that longing and getting there. But God got him there. And isn't that how it is in our lives sometimes? We have dreams that God puts in our heart. We have plans and, and ideas. And, and God, if he puts them in there, he's faithful to lead us to them. But when we look back, we're like, wow, I did not know it was going to be through that and through that. But he got them there. That's the encouragement for Paul. That's the encouragement for us. This is the last of a, a we section. We found some brothers and sisters. What that means is Luke, the author, was traveling with Paul. Aristarchus hung out with him. Others came, and so he traveled with them. Now, now check out what happens when he gets to Rome. He's going to have a meeting with the Jews. Now, how many of you guys know that all through his ministry, even after all the Jews put him through, all the trials, all the imprisonments, all the beatings that they instigated, he still loved them? I don't know if you've got people in your life that give you a hard time repeatedly. This is like that on steroids, and Paul still loved them. Romans spoke of his love for the Jews like this. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the Jews, the people of Israel. Now, how many of you guys know that Paul was crazy about Jesus. I mean, he says things like, Jesus is my life. So for him to say, I could wish myself cursed and cut off from the love of my life, if only my people would believe, you start to get a glimpse of God's heart for the lost in there. Challenges me. Do I have that kind of heart, not only for the people that are easy to get along with in my life, but for the neighbors, the coworkers, the the people in my life that give me a hard time? That's the kind of heart Paul had. And we want to look at this, this first meeting with the Jews, uh, starting at verse 17. Three days later, now, let's stop there just for a minute. How many of you, or, or myself included, I just got back from a little rest in the valley with my family. How many of us would maybe even rightfully look at four months of travel, months and months and years of trials before that, and say, hey, I'm in Rome. I'm going to take a couple months. <laughs> just a rest. Not that it necessarily would have been wrong, but Paul's got this, this beating heart for his mission. He waits three days, probably takes him that long to get set up in his house where he's chained to a, a Roman soldier. Three days, and he sets up this meeting with the local Jewish leaders from the, the local Jewish synagogues. When they had assembled, check, check this out. Paul has something on his mind. We, we read this and we think he's, he's concerned about what these Jews think. All right. Last time he met with a group of Jews, they tried to kill him. So he wants to come in here, and probably for four months maybe, he's, he's let this percolate. What, what are these Jews going to think of me? I haven't had good experiences. So he's going to lay out his case again. He, he's been worrying maybe, thinking about this, thinking about it at the very least. And he says, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, you can see him building his case again, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. 
They examined me and wanted to release me. What's he saying there? He's like, the Romans didn't see anything wrong with me. They were fine with what I was doing because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Romans saw that I was innocent. Go on. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. You remember the Jews didn't want Rome to let him go. So Paul said, I'm not going back to see the Jews. I will appeal to Caesar. He's saying, that's the only reason I'm here. So I appealed to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm not against my people. I'm just saying that what I believe is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything our nation's about. I love our people. I just want our people to see that. Now, he was all probably thinking about that for four months, right? We don't know if he was necessarily worried or not, but he was probably at least thinking about it. This is going to happen when I get there. They're going to be against me, so I've got to build my case. Now, watch what happens. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Now, if they're speaking the truth here, everything Paul was thinking about and preparing for for four months to defend himself, he didn't even have to do it. They hadn't even heard about him in his latest escapades. How many times have we been there in our lives? We, we, we get to thinking about what's going to happen when I get to this point or when I see this person or when I get to this moment. And, and sometimes we get, begin to worry, right? Like this is going to be how it is. This is what it, what's going to happen. And we start to formulate our plans. So you guys have heard the stats. About 90% of what we worry about never comes to pass. Well, I don't know if Paul was worried, but these guys hadn't even heard of him. But they did want to hear what his views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. That's all they knew, is that people spoke against what he said. Now, I want to pause here for, for just a moment, just to ask you, are, are you at a moment like that in your life, where you're heading somewhere, and you're worried about what's coming? You're worried about what it's going to be like. And I want to use this twist of events here just to say, hey, give it to God. Trust that God's got that moment. Don't assume you know how it's going to be. God knows how it's going to be and leave it in his hands. So a couple days later, they, they have this meeting that they arranged, this second meeting with the Jews. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them, check this out, from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Now get the scene, right? He's sitting in his house, but he's chained to a Roman soldier. These guys come over and he's not like, I got 15 minutes, let's, let's get this done. He's, from morning till evening, he's sharing with them passionately about who Jesus is. And like much of his ministry, it says some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. I want to go on to the end of this section. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people, the Jews, and say, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Now, there's a big difference between hearing and understanding, right? If you have kids, you know that. 
There's also a, a big difference between seeing and perceiving. That was true of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, but Paul knows that it's true of Israel in his day. By and large, though there were some that accepted what he had to say, most of the nation rejected the Messiah that they had been promised. And so Paul states that, and he says, here's the result. You've rejected it, verse 27. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. The, the quote goes on, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So here's the application. He says, you've rejected it. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now let's pause there for a second. That's the age we live in. The Romans says that because the Jews rejected it, we now have an opportunity to accept Christ. God in his sovereignty used even their rejection of the gospel to bring many of you in this room into salvation. That's something we can be thankful for, but we can also look at Paul's example and say that we can never give up on God's people or the nation of Israel. He always went to them first, and we know if we read scripture that in the end times, the nation by and large is going to come back to Christ, is going to believe in him rather for the first time. So we ought not to give up on the Jews, but we ought to be thankful that we have had the opportunity we have because of that rejection. I want to land on a summary statement of his time there. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these last words of the book of Acts. This is so cool. With all boldness and without hindrance. That's how Luke closes it. He preached it with all boldness and without hindrance. And some of us are saying, well, what happened while he was there for that two years? And what happened to the end of Paul's life? Luke, this is kind of like not how you end a book unless you're trying to sell a series. <laughs> like this is a really bad cliffhanger, Luke. What happens to Paul? But first I want to talk about what happened during this two years. One thing we believe is that he wrote the four prison epistles. How many of you love the book of Ephesians? Or Philippians? Or Colossians? Philemon? During this two years, it's most likely that, that that's when he wrote these letters to those churches. So if those have encouraged you, you can thank Paul and God for these two years. Listen to what happened with the guards. These guards that listen to him teaching day in and day out, right? They're chained to him. You talk about a captive audience? These are Roman imperial guards. Listen to what he wrote from that house in Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. There's a lesson in there for us, right? We don't only have the ability to share the gospel when life is good. We have a profound ability from God, even in the hard times, to be a light to the people looking into our situation. I talked to a friend this week who's going through a hard time in a relationship that's breaking apart. And he was talking with his daughter. And his daughter came up, and, and there's been some tension for a couple years with his daughter. It's been hard. She's a teenager. There's been some separation. 
so, some angst. And he's been longing for closeness to come back. And in the middle of this trial, this week, she, he said she came up and gave him a big hug and said, Daddy, I love you. I love you. I'm sorry you're hurting so much. And he said that's the first time they've had a moment like that in a couple years. And when he told me that, I said, you know what's so cool about this? Because as a teenager, she's sorting through her own faith. Do I really believe this? Do I not? I said, what's really cool about this is, one, that you had that moment. And two, that she is watching. As you go to your prayer closet while you go through this trial and cry out to God, she's watching. As you trust God and wait when God says wait, when others say move forward and do this and do that and be mean and, and you're trusting God, she's watching. It's a modern day example of what we see with Paul. People are watching in our hard times and, and it's often during those moments where our faith can be the, the strongest witness uh, to those around us, just like Paul was to that imperial guard. Check this out. He also led a slave to faith in Christ. If you know the book of Philemon, it's a really short letter that Paul wrote from prison to a guy named Philemon. Unfortunately, in that day, uh, many people still had slaves. It was much different than what we know of as American slavery. But this man named Philemon had, had a slave, and the slave ran away. And the slave ran all the way to Rome and met Paul. And evidently, Paul began to share the gospel of Jesus with this slave named Onesimus and, and led him to the Lord while he's in the, under house arrest. And so Paul writes this letter after that all happens to Philemon. In verse 15, he says to this slave owner, Philemon, brother in Christ, he says, perhaps the reason your slave was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, check this out, but better than a slave, as a dear brother, He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. He could have easily been killed for running away, but what Paul's doing is saying, hey, I led him to the Lord. Accept him back and don't have him as your slave anymore. Accept him as a brother in Christ. You think you can't be useful in your hard times? Look at Paul, leading people to the Lord, reuniting relationships, setting people free from slavery. All from... House arrest. Now we know that uh, Paul uh, expected to be released. Some, something in what was going on during this time was telling him that I'm probably going to be released. Philemon 22, he says, one thing more. He's talking to the same slave master. Uh, Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Uh, he's at least hoping that he's going to be released from this two years. And we know Luke doesn't tell us what happened in the trial. Most people think it's because the trial hadn't happened yet. Luke could only tell us what he knew, but most people believe that, that Paul did stand before Caesar and he was released. And for four years between AD 63 and 67, many believe that he did more ministry. And they believe this because when they look at his letters saying, I went here and did this and such and such a person met me here and did this, it doesn't fit anywhere earlier in his ministry. So they believe it, it fell in here. And that during this time, he wrote 1 Timothy, a letter to a, a young church leader. He wrote the letter to Titus, a, another young church leader. And then he was arrested again in AD 67. This time, the conditions were much different. Uh, if you've ever read 2 Timothy, 
Most believe that this was written during his second imprisonment in Rome. The first one, you remember, house arrest, the guard, freedom to see friends. The second one sounds horrible. Second uh, Timothy 2.9, he says, I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. This time he was treated like a criminal. The, the previous time he was given many privileges, even though he was going to stand trial. This time he's treated, treated like a criminal. He's cold. Second Timothy 4.13, he writes to Timothy and he says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus. Why, why do you need a cloak? Because you're cold. And my scrolls, especially the parchments. Maybe even worse than all that, this one was so bad that he was forsaken by his friends. Other than Luke, he was left alone. He says, no one came to my support in 2 Timothy 4.16, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So here he is alone, chained like a criminal, cold, and he knew the end was coming. Second Timothy 4, verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. I'm being spent. And the time for my departure is near. Here we get those wonderful words. He looks back at his life in the power of the Spirit, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Tradition tells us that in A.D. 67, shortly after writing those words, he was beheaded at the order of a crazy emperor named Nero. You may have heard of Nero. There was a fire in Rome. Some people believe Nero actually started it to get inspiration for an artistic project that he was working on. He needed to work up some angst, so he set part of the city on fire. That's one, one thought. Uh, other people say we don't really know how it started, but Nero needed a scapegoat. And you know who he said started Rome on fire? The Christians. And that's where you run into that season of time where in his gardens he would put torches and he would put Christians on the top of these stakes dipped in oil and light them on fire to light his own gardens. I believe this was the emperor who beheaded Paul. And I just want to ask us the question as we wrap up Paul's life. We, have you noticed with me that we live in a day and age where it is so easy to bail on commitments. It's so common. It's easier than ever to bail on families. Now, I'm not speaking to you if you've been through a hard time where divorce is warranted. Don't, don't consider this as judgment. I'm speaking to the situations like an article Carolyn told me about the other day where, where a man was defending his divorce simply because as... As they stayed married, he realized that his wife was changing, you know, 10 years later. She was, her personality was changing, and, and she was different. Well, well, duh, we're people. We grow and we change, and that's life. But we, we come up with so many silly excuses to bail these days, even, even on our families, on, on our jobs. 
on churches. They didn't scratch this itch, so I'm out of here. And sometimes on Jesus, because he didn't give me what I asked when I wanted it. I'm, I'm done. We live in a t- day and age where bailing comes so quickly. And the question I want to ask is, like Paul, who had every, if anybody had a reason because of earthly trials to bail on Jesus, it was Paul. But for him, Jesus was everything. Are you going to finish strong? Are you going to hold on to Jesus with all you've got? And you say, well, that's kind of speculative. I don't, it's kind of abstract. I don't even know how to answer. I don't know when I'm going to finish. Well, let me ask you this. Maybe this is more concrete and to the point. How are you running today? If you were to continue running your race the way you're running it today, when your moment does come, would you finish strong? Or would you have some regret? What's one thing keeping you from running strong right now? One hang-up, one hindrance, one thing keeping you from running all out for Jesus? What's one thing that'll help you continue running strong? Or to begin running strong if you haven't been? Throughout this series, we talk about how Paul remembered why he started. He remembered how God saved him. How he ran with no worry. He he trusted God. He competed according to God's rules and he ran with hope. What's holding you back from running strong and what's one thing that could help you begin or continue running strong? Let's think about that as we wrap up Paul's life. And then we're going to wrap up the book of Acts. We said this was a horrible way to finish a book. Unless you're selling a series like Left Behind. You always got to leave it that last, <laughs> that last section so they buy the next one, right? Why would he do that? Why would he not tell us? Well, one reason we said was he didn't know how Paul's trial ended. But even bigger, this book was not the Acts of Paul. That's not what this book was about. This last section was much about Paul. And many have wrestled over the years, what is it? Is it the acts of? Is it the acts of God, the Father? Is it the acts of Jesus? Is it the acts of believers, the acts of Peter, the acts of Paul, the acts of the Holy Spirit? And there's a great quote out there somewhere that we couldn't find. <laughs> so we're going to invite our friend Mr. Paraphrase in for just a moment. This guy said it like this. That it's, it's none of those alone. None of those alone sum it up. He paraphrased it like this. He said, this book is acts orchestrated by God the Father, done by his son, Jesus Christ, through believers who walk in the power of the Spirit. Acts orchestrated by God the Father, done by his son, Jesus Christ, through believers who walk in the power of the Spirit. That is part of why Possibly Luke leaves it open like this to to tell us that it's not just about Paul. This this story continues in God's people. Brian Rosner said, Acts insists that the God who is at work in the history of his ancient people, Israel, is the same God who's at work in the church. You remember those last words. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I want you to listen to these words by Charles Spurgeon. Let these soak into your heart. Luke did not write his book simply to record ancient history. 
He wrote to encourage the church in every age. That's us this morning. To encourage the church in every age to be faithful to the Lord and to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. He, he says, what was begun with so much heroism ought to be continued with ardent zeal today. Let me repeat that. What was begun with so much heroism ought to be continued with ardent zeal today, since we are assured that the same Lord is mighty still to carry on his heavenly designs. Do you believe that, that the same Lord who caused the gospel to spread from Jerusalem around the known world to Rome is at work in us today? If we didn't have the book of Acts, what would happen is you finish the book of John in your Bible and you'd go to Romans and say, wait a second. <laughs> How did this travel from this little group of people in Jerusalem to Gentiles in Rome? Acts helps us see that picture. And just real briefly, just to look at how amazing it was, you remember the 120 in Jerusalem, right? And, and Jesus had said to that early church, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we've witnessed in this book. Check out this map. You can't read all those cities, but you can see all the different places Paul went on his third journey, three journeys in his, his journey to Rome. Just a couple cities that I'll name. Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and on his journey to prison to Rome. That's what we've witnessed. And the story continues. What was begun with so much heroism ought to be continued with ardent zeal, said Spurgeon, since we're assured that the same Lord is mighty still to carry on his heavenly designs. I've seen it recently. Carolyn and I have had the privilege of meeting a young couple. And I've been meeting with them on and off, and they ask some simple questions about, hey, we've heard about Jesus, but we want to know more about him. And we started with the basics. You know, we started with who is he? We started with his birth. We started with his life and then his death and his resurrection. And we've been praying for him. And she sent me an email this week with a P.S. And this is so great for just a P.S. I love this. She's like, I've also found myself becoming closer to God. I talk to him all the time. Thank you. Now, I want to explore with them, what does that mean? Do you, have, have you embraced Jesus as your Savior? But they've been on this journey, and God is still in that process of drawing people into that journey. It's not us. All we got to do is say, yes, Lord, I'll be available. All you got to do is say, yes, Lord, I'll be available. What's really cool today is many churches around the world are celebrating Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, when the Holy Spirit came upon that church. I think that's an appropriate way to end the book of Acts, to remember that it's the same Holy Spirit that came on them and enabled them to rock the world with the good news of Jesus that lives in his children today. So I want to close uh, by, by sharing a song with you in just a moment. Uh, it's a song that, that challenges us with the idea, if we've really been filled with the Holy Spirit, it seems like our Christian walk ought to involve a whole lot more than coming in here and listening to a message on Sundays. 
doesn't make sense that God would fill us with his almighty Holy Spirit so we could just do that, does it? Who needs a Holy Spirit for that? It's pretty easy. It does make sense if he'd fill us with the Holy Spirit if we have a mission to make disciples in our world because that requires a Holy Spirit. I want to close with a song. Some of you uh, may be fans of Christian rap. Some of you may not. It's a song called After the Music Stops by a man named Lecrae. Lecrae, I, I love to listen to him while I run. My son Jaden is a big fan of his. We listen to it all the time at our house. He, he grew up in a gang and he met Jesus and he uses his rap as a, as a vessel to, to make disciples. And the point as you listen to this is not to think, hey, maybe I could go out here and write my own rap. Maybe there's a few of you who could. That's not the point. The point is, okay, he's a rapper using his gift to make disciples. What's my gift? What's my job? What's my calling? And am I using it to make disciples? The song is called After the Music Stops. And I'll expand the idea to after the worship stops, after the sermon series stops. The idea is what happens now? Now that the song's over, now that the sermon's over, now that the sermon series is over, what happens? I'll let you listen and then I'll come up and we'll wrap up. Yeah. I got a question. Huh. After the show, after the sex, after the music stops, what's next? Are we just writing songs? Day I was a lunchline rapper. After that, I guess I was a punchline rapper. Then I got saved, and sometime after, your boy came back as a frontline rapper. And when I say the front lines, that's not a front line. I'm out here preaching Christ on the front lines. And no, it ain't about rocking stages, cause some of my engagements are out on the pavement. Yeah, I'm out to take the Bible, create disciples who make disciples, disciple cycles. That's why I want the beats to knock. So after the music stops, you can meet the rock. I pray that you would know him well. This is like show and tell. It's more than a show. I'm showing you Emmanuel. So yeah, I'm hoping that you're liking the flow. But it's only so you can know the God I'm writing it for. Let's go. After the show. After the set. After the music stops. What's next? Will there be fellowship, prayer, disciples? Will you open your Bibles? After the music stops. After it's over. Some fast, some slow, so the listeners would know the importance of the show. The importance of the show is not to excite these folks, but make God's truth relevant, ignite these folks. Discipleship is our call, but we make disciples. This is not a suggestion, create disciples. The teaching is a process, it's not overnight, and it's not a stage in a mic. Nars life on life, grace. Walk with 12, with 12, talk the 12, 12. invested in them well. You can say that he made the 12. Who made many more, who made plenty more. Now it's on you and me if there's any more. One teach, two teach, three teach, four teach, five teach, six teach, seven teach more. This is what we've been commissioned. It's the reason why I write so that you can hear the truth. Not so you can say I'm tight. Whoa. After the show, after the set, after the music stops, what's next? Will there be fellowship? Break? 
the sermon's over, after we sing our songs today, what is your part in the continuing story? Take a moment and ask God that right now. Close our eyes and ask him, God, now that the sermon series in the book of Acts is over, what's my part? What, What are the opportunities around me today? What's around me this week and the rest of my life? And help me to to take advantage of those. Maybe it's as simple as saying, I'm going to join a missional community and get on mission with some people. If you'd like to do that, check our website. Talk to me or Scott back there. We'd love to plug you in. Uh, Maybe it's somebody you know that needs the hope of Jesus in your world. And you're the one that's in a prime position to take it to them. After the music stops, what's next? Father, I thank you so much for this book of Acts. It's been a sometimes uncomfortable challenge in my own life, in my own family. I think probably to some in this church, when we, when we read the things you did, the things you do, you, you do today, the things like adding those who are being saved daily uh, to the group, early church. And then we look at our lives and say, wow, I'm not really seeing that like I'd like to. And so at first it can be discouraging, but then it it becomes encouraging because we say it's not about what I can do or what my family can do or what our church can do. It's about what your Holy Spirit did and can do again and is doing in some places, some people. He's working in our own community And the only call upon us is to to yield to him, walk in his power and obedience and and watch you do your work. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, as we look at the end of Paul's life, when we look at our own steps, uh, Father, that you'd help us to honestly evaluate. If I finish my race today the way I'm running, would I finish strong? Or would I leave some of it on, on the track? Help us to go all out. I'd leave it all there for you, just like Paul did, whatever that means. I'll take a moment of silence here and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to, to each heart in this room.
What's it look like for me to run strong today? Father, I pray that uh, even in our giving, in just a moment, that would be an act of surrender and trust to you and that you give us wisdom as a church to use it for your kingdom and your ongoing mission. In Jesus' name, amen.